Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. I'm going to speak from one of Jesus' uh, more famous parables. We all, all would have heard this parable. This is in Matthew chapter 25. This is the parable of the talents. So we'll begin in Matthew 25 in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have five, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had uh, the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you had scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I had scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. Everybody say abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So many things we could talk about from this, uh, this passage, but uh, I want to talk today about a mindset of abundance. A mindset of abundance. And I believe what God wants to do today is really shift our thinking in some areas around money. Many of us have been programmed to think certain ways about money, and that has led us to, using, to use money in certain ways. And every one of us probably have a different story of what that mindset influence has been in our lives. But when it comes to our finance and our money, how we think about money is crucial. It determines everything about how we relate to money, whether we worship it, whether we don't, how we spend it, how much we spend, how little we spend. Um, 
what we see in the future when it comes to our money, whether we even look into the future when it comes to our money. So, Father, we ask in this moment that, um, Lord, if there is anything that you want to shift or change, Lord, I ask that you would bring revelation and let there be a humility in our hearts to receive what you want to say to us. Father, we recognize that what we do with our money reveals so much about what's important to us, so much about what we value. Jesus, you even connected our spiritual state to how we use our money to reflecting something of, of the Spirit. So, Father, I ask that where there are mindsets that have led us into debt, into poverty mindset, into the worship of money, God, I ask that you would free us today. Father, where there have been generational curses of poverty, where there have been generational mindsets that have, uh, that have not aligned with uh, your kingdom, and relating to you as the God of abundance, who is more than enough, who is a plentiful supply. Father, would you reorder our thinking? Would you change generations? Father, you've called us to be kingdom men and women and to live counterculturally to this world around us that hoards and that fears loss and that uh, spends what we don't have and... Uh, and uses possessions to, to fill holes in our soul and identity. God, would you deliver us? Let us think rightly about money. And Lord, we ask that you would lead us into kingdom, prosperity, and abundance. Father, let the next generation that we impart to receive blessing and not curse. We need you to do a work. We need you to do a miracle today. We need you to shift and change. We need Holy Spirit revelation to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I, um, I graduated from uh, uni in uh, the early to mid-90s, somewhere around there. Mid-90s? Yeah, I think it was mid-90s. And um, I went off and did this leadership training program after I graduated. And... Uh, then I, uh, during the course of this year, felt this call to ministry and to give my life to the gospel. And the church that I was a part of, there was really no job opportunity, no offer to come on staff, ministry. But I had gotten saved as a university student and wanted to help other uni students get right with God. So I, um, I came back and in talking with my pastor and some leaders in my life, I uh, went to the university that I had graduated from and started a campus ministry after raising my own support to do that, fresh out of uni in this leadership training program, which meant I basically went and would meet with other Christians and share my vision for what I wanted to do and ask them to invest monthly in my ministry. <laughs> had nothing to show for anything except just a, a vision and, uh, and a passion. And... Uh, and like straight out of the gates, you know, there was no like guaranteed income. It was a battle. I was it's like I was going to war just to, to make ends meet. And what was interesting is, is what I, what, what I began to realize during that season 
was how crucial my mindset was, my belief. I mean, you imagine the ups and the downs and the emotional roller coaster. And we've all experienced, you know, the highs and lows of seasons of maybe having plenty and, and having lack and how we manage that in our own soul. But how we think about money uh, really determines so many things about how we, how, how we live and what we do with that money and resource. The challenge for me was, was that I grew up in a home where I was not really taught much about money and how to manage money well. So by the time I'd graduated from uni, I'm going off raising support and I've got like all this credit card debt, right? Because I'm walking across campus and there's a table set up and the credit card company's like, we know you don't have a job, you have no income, but we're gonna give you a credit card. And if you sign up, we'll give you this free t-shirt. I'm like, come on, give me the free t-shirt. I want the free t-shirt. Yeah, give me one of those little squeezy things as well. And you know, I want the little, the little hand with the finger on it, you know, that you wear, give me all that stuff. And so then I just remember how powerful I felt. You know, I would go to, to the pub and I would put the credit card down. And I was like, boom, it was like, I'm the man, you know, got the credit card now. And uh, little did I know, you know, that that thing keeps, the more you spend it, the more you get, the balance increases. And, and uh, the great thing was you didn't have to pay it off at the end of the month and they keep letting you using it, use it. But then the next thing you know, you got like $5,000 in debt or, you know, I, I think they gave me like a $5,000 limit. Like, what are they thinking? Giving me, don't even have a job yet in uni. But uh, man, they, they had sucked me in. But there was a mindset, there was a, a, a way of relating to money that allowed me to get drawn into that. So here I am on this journey of I'm trying to build belief in my soul of God's provision. But at the same time, I've got these patterns of behavior that are not particularly helping me when it comes to money and finance. But we raised support, Liz and I got married, and I lived for 15 years raising support. We had six children living on the other side of the world. And talking about just having to constantly just build up your soul and confess the word and declare out of my mouth what God's provision for me was going to be, I learned a lot about the journey of faith. But it was amazing how those little enemies in my soul kept creeping back up in my life. And so by the time, amazingly, my, my father had passed away and, and then uh, I'd gotten a little very small insurance settlement and paid off the credit card and a little bit of other debt I, I had on my car. And then I put a little bit of money in the bank. And um, I've told some of you guys the story before of how, and I won't go into the details now, but it was the, the dot-com bubble had burst back in 2000, uh, year, the year 2000, I think it was. And and the share prices were really high, and then it just plummeted down much lower. And I was like, man, this is, the, this is the moment to buy, man. I was a finance major. I thought I knew everything there was about, about money and finance because I had graduated from university with a finance degree, right? And so I, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm researching all the, the share prices, and I found this one, and, and, and I found that there was an investment bank that said that it was worth $50, but it was going to go to $500. That's what the investment bank said. They had their report, it's gonna to go to $500. And it was already up to like $100, $200. And then it, and it crashed down to 50. I'm like, man, this is the moment, $55 per share. So I you know, did the reasonable thing. I took 
uh, all of that $5,000 cash that I had. And then I took my credit card and I got $5,000 off my credit card and went all in on this one share. We weren't married yet. We weren't married yet. Yeah, yeah, I rewind a little bit. I still remember, I still remember when the, the stockbroker called me and he, he said, he said, Jason, you've, you've done really, you've gone to $75 a share. I think it's time to sell. I think the, the market's overheated. And I was like, no, 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 I've read the investment report. It's going to $500 a share. I was like, let's let it ride. <laughs> and he's like, are you sure? He's like, all right. So over the course of the next few months, I saw it go from, from 75 to 65, from 65 to 55. And I'm like, oh man, I could sell now and I'd break even, but then I'd miss out on all the gains. And I was like, I'm going to keep, I'm going to stay in it. Then it goes to 45. And I still remember being, I was, wait, I was a waiter. I was, <laughs> I was waiting tables. I still remember the feeling in my stomach I had. Like at this moment, as I'm waiting tables, I'm like, what do I do? It's like, I'm, I'm now negative. And then it went to 35. And then it went to 25. And at, when it got to $25, I did what any reasonable sane person would do. I borrowed another $5,000 off my credit card. Because if I could get another $5,000 worth of the same share, it would only have to go up to $33. And then I could sell it at 33. And then I'd break even. I'd be like, okay, lesson learned. I'll never do this something this dumb again. $15, $10, $5. I think I sold it like $2.25. <laughs> Talking about painful investing lesson. By this time, Olivia and I were married, and here I am back in debt. Same destructive behavior, because there was something on the inside that didn't change. It didn't matter how much money I got, I was going to, because of what was going on on the inside, I was going to end up back in the same place where I was before. Thankfully, Olivia was kind enough to still marry me with that debt, and God provided, and we paid that debt off, and but um, lived on support for many years, and then we uh, went back to the States for a couple of years, and we're still living on support, but it was much harder to, to get buy-in from people to support us as missionaries to the United States. <laughs> you know, it's like, it was, it was a much better sell to missionary to Australia, right? So anyway, we struggled that year, and um, we came back after that season to Australia, and we knew that God had called us here for good. We came back to Australia, but there was no ministry opportunity. And um, I, God opened up a door for me to start a business, at working with a mate of mine who's a best-selling property investing author, uh, mentoring property investors. So here I am in this moment again where there's no guaranteed income, this battle for finance and for resource. Um, and God miraculously provides and provides abundantly for us during that season. One of the things that I can, that stands out to me in working with all of these clients, you've got people that have, that are paying, you know, thousands of dollars to $10,000 per year to do this mentoring program with me and this other guy. And the, 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 the thing that, that was so crucial that I could see in the difference in how they performed and how they responded and to what kind of success they had, it all came back to their mindset. And you know, some of the, the most challenging people to work with and the most challenging people to break out of destructive mindset were people that grew up religious, being programmed to think that there was something more holy 
about being poor, having lack, having little. And it was so deeply ingrained in them that they really struggled to break out. Then there were other people that grew up in homes where they were being, um, you know, mentored by their parents to think differently, and they just have this mindset imparted. And I remember sitting down with one guy, and we're, you know, one of the things that we do at the beginning of, the, of this time is we would, we would help them uh, think through their vision, where they want to be long-term, and set their goals. And I'm, I'm doing this vision work with him, and I said, okay, so what's your long-term goal? And his long-term goal was like $200 million. And he's, I'm like, $200 million, really? You really need it? He's like, oh, yeah, well, my goal is for my net worth to exceed that of my, my immediate family. So I would need that much to exceed their net worth. That's a very different mindset. That's a very different starting place. There was something programmed into him to have a capacity to believe for, reach for, expect something at a much higher level. But what was interesting was I could see other enemies in his soul around his mindset towards money. So although he had this mindset of uh, abundant possibility, he had also had this mindset that his identity was all wrapped up in the achievement of this goal. In fact, there was uh, some kind of like bitterness and anger in his soul towards his father and his family that was driving him to want to have more than all them put together. Okay, that's not a very healthy, that's not a very healthy motive and motivation. And so we had to do some work on that. Had some great conversations with this young man. But uh, anyway, that's another story for another day. But I grew up in a home where uh, I didn't learn great mindsets around money. And I don't know what your home situation was like, what kind of mindsets were imparted to you, uh, where you grew up, the people that you grew up around, but all of that impacts how we relate to money. We lived very large in my family. We lived, I remember we lived on 18 acres. We had a house with seven bedrooms and like seven bathrooms. It was, I don't know how my mom kept up with the cleaning in that house, but we had horses. We had all the great, we'd take holidays to the Cayman Islands. Uh, and I still remember when uh, the newspaper headlines said that John Staggers has been indicted on 18 counts of wire fraud. Imagine going to school and, uh, you know, and I'm hanging out with my friends and what, what's going on with your dad? You know, the FBI is after your dad. What's going on? Oh, you know, I don't know. I think, you know, he said it's no, really no big deal. <laughs> it's all going to work out. Um, okay, dad. Um, Ended up doing a couple of years in federal prison, got out again, went back into prison. What we experience programs us, programs our expectations, our mindsets. Many of us have probably not really been coached very well in how we relate to money. And that's going to be a problem for us if it's not addressed. God wants every single one of us, part of coming into the kingdom of God and having our mind renewed, it touches every area of our lives. And one of the most important areas, we tend to think, oh, I've got my holy kind of sacred life over here, my relationship with God, and then I got my secular life over here, which is all the money and everything. But do you know that Jesus came and really spoke a message of merging 
those two worlds that we try to separate and divide, making every part of our life sacred and important in the eyes of God, even saying things that indicate that how we use our money actually reveals a lot about what's going on spiritually in our soul, in, in, in our lives, and our capacity to carry spiritual weight and responsibility connected to how we handle money. That's a scary thought. Jesus talked a lot about money, the parable of the rich fool. Jesus warned about the dangers of greed and materialism. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about the, uh, the eternal uh, value of our treasures in heaven and not to store up treasures on earth where it can be stolen, it can be destroyed. The story of the rich young ruler whose money prevented him from a close relationship with Jesus because he loved his money more than he loved uh, God. There was Zacchaeus, the, the tax collector. Um, there, there was the, the widow's offering. Jesus talked a lot about money because money is a very important part of all of our lives. Why would we separate our money and our finance, which is, I mean, if something goes wrong in our finances, we're pretty much screwed, right? Like, we're having a bad, situ bad life. You lose your job, you have no savings, you got some problems, right? If things go wrong in our finances, we've got some issues. Our money is very important to us, and, 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 and it's important to God. And we, sh we should recognize and, and not be afraid to address these things in the context of our relationship with God. Nothing less holy talking about any of these things. We've all heard the stories of people who've won the lottery, and then within a year, two years, their life is completely destroyed. All the money's gone. They're worse off than they were before. Kids have killed themselves. They've gone off the rails on drugs. And many times it happens, winning the, they'll, they'll say, winning the lottery was a curse. It was the worst thing that ever happened to me. Why? Because money just amplifies whatever's going on in the soul. It, it's a public reflection of, of who we really are. Jewish people know this, and, you know, Jewish people are, are known and stereotyped for being wealthy people, but I think that's really because they have this worldview imprinted upon them of covenant promise and blessing based upon their connection back to a man called Abraham. And they look to the Old Testament scriptures as this basis of how we are to live our lives. We're going to build our life in a community around living according to covenant blessing and covenant promise. And we know that there is a way we've got to live practically and steward what is given to us. And they don't mind using their relationships with one another, right? Let her do business with one another. I'm going to start a business and we'll start business together and our businesses are going to feed off of each other. And you've got all this wealth coming into this community because of a mindset of abundance. So what about us as Christians? What should our mindset be towards money? One of the challenges is, is that we live in a culture that worships money. And you maybe you've heard the term syncretism. It's this this concept, this idea, theologians talk about where you mix 
uh, religions together. There's two cultures merge and there's a mixing of religions. So for example, in the Old Testament, uh, we saw this, the nation of Israel, God said, you shall have no other gods before me, but they would get cozy with the surrounding nations and there would be a blending of their religions together, right? So they wouldn't just worship Jehovah, but they would, a little bit of Baal over here, a little bit of Ashtaroth, a little bit of Molech, you know, on the side, but we're, we still worship Jehovah, but there's this kind of worshiping, this merging of of deities together in the way that they worship God was began to look a little bit like the way that the surrounding nations worship. So we can come, we, we have to deal with this possibility as Christians living in a world that has been very blessed and prosperous because of the generational blessing of the fruit of the gospel in culture and the blessing of God upon our nation. And now being an anti-God nation that has uh, really began to worship money how do we distinguish in our own soul as Christians? Are we mixing our Christianity, our pursuit of Jesus with wealth and money? And are we making those two things synonymous? Or where is that line and what does that look like where we can very easily um, worship money, but then at the same time, there seems to be this call to abundance. How do we differentiate? All comes back to mindset. So I wanna pull out a few quick things from this passage that, um, that can help us, hopefully, when it comes to our mindset, how we approach money. I mean, I, you, could, you could make a week-long seminar on this, all right? So I'm going to just give a few things that you're going to have to take away, study more, maybe embrace the beauty of growing in this area. Maybe embrace the holiness of growing in a mindset of abundance, all right? Going on a bit of a journey, if you haven't been on that journey yet. Number one, Jesus modeled a life of abundance in total de dependence upon the Father. This passage we just looked at, Jesus is clearly elevating and praising the servant who was able to position themselves to receive a greater abundance of stewardship from the master. And when we look closer at Jesus' life, we can see he clearly modeled for us a life of abundance. We often hear about Jesus being poor. He was born in a barn. His parents were from, you know, a regional part of, of Israel, and they weren't wealthy, and he grew up in poverty. But there's a reason why Jesus was born in a barn. It was because there was no room left in the inn, right? The the you presume that Joseph at least had, he was looking for a room. He was, you know, so it wasn't that he, they were in a barn because he was poor. He was in a barn because there was no room left in the end because everybody was going back to, to Bethlehem to be counted during the, the census. But even if his family was poor before they were born, they weren't poor after he was born. Because you remember the story of the three uh, or the however many magi there were that showed up at the birth of Jesus, these kings who had come from afar to bring their tribute to another king. When a king came to bring tribute, they didn't bring a small amount of money. You look at the tribute that was brought to Solomon, that was paid. There was a reflection of their own greatness and authority revealed in the giving of the gift. And to give a small gift to a king spoke of you're a small king. All right, there's this revelation they had of the kingship, the, the, the highest kingship of Jesus, and they're bringing gold 
frankincense, and myrrh, all very costly, valuable items at that time. We don't know how much it was, but we can, it's safe to assume it was a large sum of resource and finance and money. We know that after Herod started killing babies and Joseph went into exile with his family, uh, took Jesus into exile into Egypt, they had to have, I mean, they couldn't take the family business with them, right? They had to have some store of resource that they could take. They lived off of this for years, perhaps, during that season. We know that Jesus, he was a carpenter. He was a, perhaps a businessman. He, uh, he, he was, they had a family business. He, he and, and his natural father, Joseph, at the time. And he worked hard. I'm sure as even just through natural means, he had provision. We know that when Jesus started his ministry, there were wealthy women that looked after him. Joanna, who was the wife of Herod's household manager, followed Jesus. This is a very wealthy woman. All right, Jesus at least had enough money with his disciples where they needed to delegate responsibility to one person to manage the money. Judas, he was the money manager. He was the treasurer. All right, so there's at least enough. They need to steward and manage well what has been contributed and given at what they are living off of for their support. But beyond just this, these gifts that were given to him, Jesus had a capacity to access in extreme abundance, extreme abundance. Amazing how he could, one of his disciples were in need. He could have them go catch a fish and pull money out of the mouth of a fish. Imagine if you could pull money out of the mouth of a fish. He multiplied bread and fish so much. Get this as a sign of abundance. And one time there were, after multiplying the, 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 this little bit of bread and fish, feeding 5,000 people, 12 basketfuls left over. Why the heck did he multiply so much that there was 12 basketfuls left over, more than enough to, for no other reason but to model abundance? He is the God who is of way more than enough. Jesus is saying, I, can, I have access to so much. I can go way beyond meeting these needs that we're going to sit around and be like, what the heck are we going to do with all this leftover food? He could bypass the natural means of production in the process of making wine. No need to grow vines. No need to, 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 to stomp out the grapes. No, long, no need for it to ferment and age just straight from water to wine. And not cheap wine. We're talking like glorious. The, everybody's like, what? What is this? This wine is amazing. Normally we drink this first and then we get a little buzz on and then we drink the cheaper stuff. This is incredible. Save the best wine for last. If Jesus could do those things, he had access to whatever he wanted. Whatever he needed, he needed at any time. Imagine having this access to endless supply and abundance. And if you had that, and if you knew that you had that, think about how impossible it would be 
to be anxious. You would never worry about money at all. You would feel no need to hoard and to protect. You would you'd feel no need to be stingy or to give just a little bit because once that's gone, I got this whole access to this abundance that's right here. All I got to do is manifest it by faith. A simple request to my father. Bam, there it is. Imagine if we could live with this mindset and had this level of belief and expectation in the abundant provision of God. This is why Jesus could say, don't worry about money. You have access to all that you need. Your father knows what you need even before you ask. It's helpful for us to understand what we mean by abundance. That Greek word translated in this passage, abundance, is our, in the text, is, just means an overflow. It's beyond what is necessary. It's, it's uh, overflowing, superfluous. It's beyond what's needed. It means that in, our most basic, in a most basic sense, every need is met, and then there's more left over. There's an abundance. There's an access to this overflow. So abundance is not so much about an amount. It's about the excess. Could be a little bit of excess, could be a lot of excess. But the goal, the point is abundance. Jesus didn't value the one with the two talents below the one who had five. He praised them both the same. The amount of their abundance was not the point. Next thing we can learn from this passage is that God can entrust you with more as your capacity to steward more grows. So when he gave five, to another two, to another one, to each according to his what? Ability. These three servants each had different abilities or capacities. That word ability uh, is a Greek word, uh, dynamis, which can be translated power. It's the force of a person's actions. It refers to their capacity, their, their cap- capability to, to manage well and contain and grow what is given. We can kind of illustrate this if you look at a, a jar, a glass jar. The, the size of that jar determines the capacity that can fit into it, right? It doesn't matter how much you pour into it, it's only going to have a certain capacity. If you want a greater capacity, then you got to have what? you got to have a bigger jar. Something has to grow to be able to contain the more. So the person who was given two versus the person who had five, one of them had a bigger jar. One of them had a greater capacity, a greater ability to steward what was given. And so in the same way we can see in all of our own lives, we're like a jar in a sense that can contain a certain amount of resource. And so if we want to be entrusted with more, which Jesus is saying is a noble goal, then we need to work on the container. 
Why was it that one got five, one got two, one got one? Well, there was something apparently that the master could already see in the one who already got one, that only got one, to make them question, can I really trust this person? I'm not going to give that one five. I'm not going to give them even two. I'm going to give them one. Let's see what they do with it. And so there's some practical things that the master was looking at and seeing, and so there's some practical things in our own lives that we can look at to clarify and maybe even to say, maybe we ask this question, how do I increase my capacity to steward more? How do I increase my ability, my capacity, my dynamis, my power to steward more? Number one, motive. Jesus says in Luke 16, you can't serve God and money. Our motive is revealed in what we are serving. And our motive matters to God. Because if Jesus loves us and we love Jesus, he's not going to give us an amount that's going to destroy us. Right? He doesn't want us to end up like the lottery winner that gets the, a bunch of resource dumped on them before they can handle it, and that end up destroying them because what they actually worship is not God but money. And so what God wants to do is work out in our, help us work out in our lives is what are you going to for significance? What are you going to for meaning, for identity? What are you going to for, um, you know, for feeling secure? Is it money or is it God? You can't serve both. And so the more our motive is purified by God as we walk with him, the more he can entrust to us because giving us more is not going to destroy us. He doesn't, it's not going to bring more pain into our life and we're not going to enable our children into dysfunction, right? How many people, I don't know, you, you know, you see these videos going around online where you've got this, the rich kid who's, who's like all arrogant and, and angry because he can't get the, the plane that he wants. And I'm going to call my dad and he's going to buy your company, you know? We, if, if we don't impart character to the next generation, then how are they going to steward what they receive? But how are we going to impart character to them if we don't have the character to impart to them, right? And so there's generational implications here. God doesn't want to destroy us and our children. And so motive matters. So we can work on our motive. What we're pursuing, what's most important to us. The more Jesus is most important, the more we position ourselves to steward greater resource. And this is important because all of us have a call to a greater level of abundance. Some of us might have a call to a greater level of abundance than others, but all of us have a call to a greater level of abundance. The second thing is vision. We all know Proverbs 29 where there's no prophetic vision. The people cast off restraint. That Hebrew word there that's translated cast off restraint could also just mean out of control. If there's no vision, you're going to be out of control with your finances. If you don't think about the future, the long-term implications of what you're going to do with the money, the, 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 uh, the one who had five and two knew that there was going to be a day of reckoning. They knew they were going to give an account, and so they were taking action now with a vision for what they wanted to achieve when the master came back. And so our financial capacity is tied to our vision. What do you envision for your future? What should we be aiming for financially? That's an important question. What should our personal financial vision be? 
How do we balance the tension between saving and giving? One of the first things that we do with our clients in this business that I had is we'd sit down and, like I said before, we'd talk about vision. We'd have them start with the end in mind and, and chart backwards. How are you going to reach that goal? What exactly has to happen between here and here? And that vision begins to frame everything that they do. It begins to bring a motive into how they reorder their lifestyle and their expenses. And, okay, I'm going to sell my car. I'm going to, I'm going to decrease debt here so that I, can, that I can borrow to buy this house and I can do this property deal and this and this, all because of the vision that is framing the current action. Some may be called to an extreme wealth creation focus. If you're called to business, maybe you're called to start and run and own multiple businesses. Maybe there's a call upon your life to be a, 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 a person through whom wealth comes into the kingdom of God and into the house of God. There may be a unique call upon your life to steward wealth. Well, abundance for you, the vision for you, might look like tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars. But for some of us, the vision may be very different. If God's called you to do something that doesn't really pay a whole lot in terms of cash flow, and, and you know, you're living your passion, your abundance is going to look different than that other person's abundance, right? It's not about the amount. The question is, what is the prophetic vision that God has given each one of us for our financial situation? Now, I'll throw this out to you. At the very least, you should be thinking about the season of your life that's coming when you will no longer be capable or desiring to trade your time for money. There is coming a time where you will still be alive and you'll have, you'll have health and you won't want to work. Or maybe you will have uh, a level of health that you're not able to work like you did before. Okay, we call that retirement, right? Okay, so thankfully the government forces a little bit of retirement savings on us through the superannuation scheme. But at the very least, the goal should be that when I retire, I don't have to live off the government and I don't have to live off my parents or my children, I mean. <laughs> I don't have to live off my children. Now, some of us may get handed uh, an inheritance, and it would behoove us even more to prepare ourselves for that level of stewardship that's going to come. If you know that there's an inheritance coming, you need to be a steward. I know someone who sold a business overseas, moved to Australia, and it was interesting because I found out that their daughter had studied accounting, and I, I made the connection of my I said, I bet. He, her dad had her study accounting because he knows somebody in this family is going to have to manage this money that I've made after selling my business, right? So there's this vision, this long-term perspective. But every one of us should have a picture, a vision in mind. I have, I have goals I pray through regularly for my long-term financial goals. I speak them out. It's a specific amount that connects to once that's invested, it will bring a certain annual income stream. Because we can say at the very least, if we're young, it's God's will to believe that we don't have to live off of our children and we don't have to live off the government. 
all right? Can everybody agree that that's a noble goal? That's something to pursue, all right? So at the very least, begin to set that as a goal. God can supernaturally catapult us forward. He can provide, but there's nothing more powerful than having time on your side in this respect. I don't have time to go into the whole concept of compound interest, but you probably know how that works. That little bit of interest every year grows. And, you know, the difference between saving $500 a month from 20 years old or from 30 years old and $500 a month from 50 years old is millions of dollars by the time you get to retirement, right? Now, some of us might have some regrets. And I, I know that because of my own life and the, um, the lack of financial wisdom that was imparted to me in younger years, it, it, it's taken me a while, right, to begin to think and invest and work towards the future. But I believe God can catapult you forward. He can bring uh, a supernatural wisdom to accelerate uh, financial and multiply finances at a rapid pace. Number three, faith. If you believe God's will is for you to be poor, then guess what? You're going to struggle to walk in abundance. You're going to have a hard time. We can increase our capacity by growing our faith for God's provision. I mean, this is what I was desperate to do when I was raising support. Every day, I'm confessing the word. God, you promised to supply all of my needs. You, you promised an abundance for every good deed. You know, I'm confessing all these Bible verses every day. I love Deuteronomy 8.18. Here's one you can grab a hold of. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. God wants to impart to his kingdom representatives power to get wealth. It's how he confirms his covenant to us. Let's embrace it. If Jesus is our God and money is not our God, then this is God's will for us to grow in power to create wealth. Fourth, how do we increase capacity? Specialized knowledge. The servants who doubled their investment through their business dealings, they had greater specialized knowledge than the one who buried his in the ground. They had a knowledge, an ability, a capacity to take what they were given and double it. While the one was so afraid, so fearful, had no specialized knowledge, they just went and buried it in the ground. And the guy's like, you should have at least put it in the bank and I could get some interest. So our capacity for both our income earning ability and growing wealth is tied to our specialized knowledge. What do you mean by that? Well, why do doctors earn more than nurses? They have greater specialized knowledge. Why do we encourage our kids to go to uni or to, get, to learn a trade? It's to gain specialized knowledge to increase income earning potential. Why is it that people in their 40s and 50s tend to be able to earn more money than in their, people in their 20s and 30s? Because of the specialized knowledge gained through experience of work life, right? So the more we increase our specialized knowledge, the more we have the capacity to grow our wealth. Why did people pay us thousands of dollars to do a mentoring program? Because they want to increase specialized knowledge related to property investing so that they can multiply their wealth faster than just putting it in the bank, right? So it's a good thing 
to gain specialized knowledge. We, we glorify God by gaining specialized knowledge. You don't just glorify God by sharing the gospel with someone. That's good. That's important. But you can glorify God by increasing your capacity to steward resource. Finally, well, this is the finally before the finally. Work ethic. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Lazy people who refuse to work will not have an abundance. That's just the way it is. The sluggard, the slothful servant will crave and get nothing. People who do create wealth tend to have a strong work ethic. We've all seen it. People that they just work. They get up, they go to work, they work hard. Can I just say this, men? If you don't have a job, and if you're not seeking to find a job or not preparing yourself to seek to find a job, then you are being lazy, all right? If you're following Jesus and perpetually living off of the government, that is laziness. That is sloth. Do not do that. That is not pleasing to God. Paul says if you're unwilling to work to provide for your family, then you are worse than an unbeliever. Okay, that's a strong statement. If you are not working, the Bible says you're lazy. Stop being lazy and work. Get out of the house. Provide for your family. Start working towards a financial vision. And so if we want to grow in abundance, we can grow in our capacity to work. When we just first start working, we're probably going to feel really tired after 25 hours a week, 30 hours a week, or whatever it is. But if if you're tired working less than full time, then you need to increase your capacity, right? That's just, it just takes time. Got to increase capacity. Over time, it's like going to the gym. The more you work out, the more you work, the more you push through the pain, the greater the capacity is to work harder and longer. All right, finally, the real finally. To experience abundance, you must take action that leads to abundance. Abundance is really the result of cause and effect. The one who turned the five talents into more at once went and traded with them. There were actions that were taken. And so I don't have time to go into these specifically and practically, but a couple quick practical things here. Got to take action. Be faithful with the tithe and give generously. We're going to talk more about this next week, all right? Be faithful with the tithe. It's amazing. I was reading Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and he was talking about this. He was talking about how if you want to be wealthy, you need to give at least 10% of your money away. Guy's not even a believer. He had tapped into this principle. If you want wealth, if you want to hold wealth and attract wealth, then you need to give more than 10%. I'm like, that's in the Bible. You stole that from the Bible. And here we are in the church whinging about, you know, is that tithe? That was an Old Testament. I don't think we're really commanded to give the tithe anymore. You know, like we're in the New Testament. I've never heard anybody complain about uh, tithe theology because they wanted to give more than 10%, right? It's usually the one that wants to give less than 10%. 
If you want to, if, if you want to believe the tithe is no longer relevant in the New Testament church and give more than 10% to your local church, then fine. You can believe that. I don't care. But you at least got to come away from Scripture with this, this recognition that the bare minimum, even before the gospel came, even before Jesus died on the cross, was 10%. How much more after that should we be living this life of overflowing abundance? Number two, quickly avoid bad debt. The ritual is over the poor. The borrower is the slave of the lender. Bad debt is consumer debt. Bad debt is debt that we go into to buy things that go down in value. If you're buying something that depreciates, that's bad debt, whether it's a car or whether it's whatever on the credit card. Bad debt, usually the result of the inability to delay gratification. I'm not willing to save and wait. I want this now, and I will leverage off of my future earn, income earning potential to have it now. And that's why you are a slave, because you are enslaving yourself to the bank. You must work to pay the bank. You're not paying your own financial vision. You're paying the bank's financial vision. Stay away from bad debt. Number three, pay God first, but pay yourself second. And this is the, 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 the principle we hear of pay yourself first, where you, before you pay any of your bills, before you even see this amount of money, you set this aside for savings. You pay yourself first. You pay your future first, your future self. Set it aside. And I'll tell you, this does get harder and harder the more you have kids. So start, and especially when you have six kids, but start as young as you can. Just setting aside money. Set it aside. You can decide how much that is. Maybe you give 10%. Maybe you tithe 10%. Give 5% away in other areas, offerings. Save 10%. Save 15%, whatever it is. But the idea is you're structuring your budget in a way, I'm living off of 70%. I'm living off of 80%. Whatever that is, pay yourself first. Number four, finally, invest what you've saved and manage the risk. This, I love this passage, Ecclesiastes 11. You got the richest man who ever lived who's talking about in, investing and diversifying your investments. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days having a long-term perspective. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Long-term, diversified investments. I'm not going to give you any investment advice today, but I would encourage you, begin growing your specialized knowledge when it comes to property, shares, Bitcoin, crypto, precious metals, business, entrepreneurship, Grow in specialized knowledge. Start small, start little, have a little bit of skin in the game, and then increase your knowledge and your understanding. Amen? So much there. Father, thank you for your presence. But we thank you that being in your kingdom, serving you, following you, loving you, worshiping you is practical. But Father, before we can live and walk in good habits, there's areas of mindset that we need to be shifted. 
that we need to change. Just have a moment with the Lord now. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.